Hello and welcome to Raising the Bar. I am your host, Darren Mulcahy, and today I am delighted to be joined by Panna, one of the French powerlifting coaches. How are you, Panna? Hey, I'm fine. Thank you for having me. As you've noticed, I haven't attempted to pronounce his surname because I am very poor at speaking French. <laughs> Actually, my full name is Greek. Really? Yeah, because I'm half Greek, half French. So. Oh, there you go. However bad I am at French, <laughs> I'm definitely going to be worse at, at Greek. <laughs> no, no probably. I think it's a difficult language anyways. Thank you for joining me, Pana. I really, really appreciate it. Um, so... When I started this podcast a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was, you know, I'm a big, big powerlifting fan and a competitor, and I really wanted to get you on it, okay? In particular, I've, I've been watching you and, and your lifters the last couple of months, and I've been amazed at the, how France has skyrocketed up. I guess I've always looked at the likes of France and, and some other of the big um, European countries, and I've always wondered why they weren't as competitive. Do you know, like, if you look at other sports, you look at France, it's like, I think, they should be up near the top. And I always wondered why they weren't. Um, but in the recent couple of months, we've seen, we've, we've seen them right up there again. And you are the, the focal point of all that, I believe, um, or definitely a key figure in, uh, in instrumenting it. So, um, so thank you for joining us. And if you wouldn't mind, Panna, could we get maybe a bit of a background on yourself? Um, how you got into the sport of powerlifting? Go into as much depth as you like. So first, thank you a lot for your kind words. It's really appreciated. Um, <clears throat> so how did I, I got into powerlifting? Actually, it's a really basic, but I think fun story. Um, I was, you know, the classic gym bro. So I was hitting the gym every day, uh, doing arms pretty much every day, uh, biceps especially. So yeah, I was your casual gym bro. And I, ha I, had I was lucky enough to, and I'm still lucky enough to have my girlfriend with me. And we were together back then. I think it was like, I think I started the gym when I was 17. And then where I, when I was 19 is, is when I went like all in in the gym, like every day, every day, two, three hours, etc. And um, at a point I was like getting interested into lifting heavier, heavier and heavier, especially on the bench press, because like every gym bro, I was doing like maybe a quarter squats, etc. But I was benching a lot. And I think at some point I was... I was at 100 kilos on three on the three lifts. Like I was squatting 100 kilos for a one rep. I was benching 100 kilos for one rep, and they're lifting the same. And um, and so I was I was getting some injuries here and there. And so in my mind, I was always like, if if I'm injured, it's that I didn't do something right. And so I was interested in the technique part of uh, stuff more than anything else. I wanted to lift heavier, but I wanted to to be able to assess my technique and see what were what was wrong with it and why i was getting some you know it wasn't really serious injuries but it was just some pain here and there and when you're a casual when you're a casual gym bro you, i think you don't get pain that often mm -hmm. so i was really uh you know pissed off so i did a lot of research and i ended up finding some powerlifting stuff uh i think i read uh, mark ripetal's book uh i can't remember the name i think it's starting strength yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. starting strength and, and so he had a big, big part regarding the anatomy, regarding the technique, etc. So I, I went into it. And then um, two, two things happened that put me 100% into powerlifting. At some point, um, I was 
always a big YouTube fan and I was looking at videos online and I saw a video of a guy um, that I was close to regarding as to what I was doing back then regarding my uh, performances and the guy was doing nationals and I was like I could do nationals in a sport that I don't even know exists and I was like oh that's sweet so I kind of did some research etc but didn't push through and I was working in uh, in uh, um, I don't know if you have it uh, in Ireland. It's uh, Decathlon. It's like a, a shop where you can buy uh, things for sports in general. Yeah, it's. Um, it, I think the first one is actually opening in Ireland or was supposed to open recently, but there isn't one oh, just okay. yet, but it's meant to. It's kind of like a, it's like a sport shop size 10. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's super huge. And I think they're all over the uh, Europe, I think. So probably that's why they're opening in Ireland as well. And so I was working there and there was a guy, a huge, huge guy, and he was walking around and it was the end of the shift. So I was like, you know, just, ch I was chilling out with him and we were talking. And so he, and actually he was a powerlifter and we talked a little bit and he was like, oh, I have a club because in France, if you want to powerlift, you have to be part of a club. And it's, it's really the most difficult part because back then Insta wasn't what it is now. So it was really difficult to find just somebody that was powerlifting and, more than that, that would have, that was owner of a club, and so the guy was uh, an owner of a club, and he was like, "Yeah, definitely, you can you can jump in and so on," and so that's when I was like, "Okay, next year I'm starting powerlifting," and so I just started, and from then I, from there, sorry, I was like, uh, at the beginning I was like doing some power building stuff, and then I just dropped it and I was like full in powerlifting. Cool, and that's and how long ago was that? Um, I think it was like three, yeah, three years ago, something like that, three, three and a half years ago. Actually, very similar kind of time scale to myself. And before you, you got into, we'll say, when you were like 17, kind of gym bro, hitting the gym, were you involved in any sports up to that? Have you like a sporting background or? Uh, yeah, a little bit, but I, I wasn't like 100%. Like I was going to the practices, but not doing anything besides okay. that. So. I had a uh, judo and basketball background. Okay, very interesting. Okay. I think I, I, I always am amazed. Like I, like, I really like to hear the, the backgrounds of some of the top guys, you know. And if you look at any of the top powerlifters, they all seem to have some sort of sporting background of some, of, of some kind of context anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so then you jumped into the powerlifting world and it really kicked on from there. And just one, one thing I want to touch on before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of it, and it's around the the idea of a club in, in France and you have to be a member of a club. Is, is that how yeah. it works? Yeah. Okay. So uh, if, you, if you're not a member of a club, you, you can't register and you compete. You can't lift. No. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But this changed like this year, uh, just this year it changed, but back then, and not only uh, you were supposed to be part of a club, but sometimes the clubs were uh, really difficult to enter in because uh, that's a funny story, but I almost never started powerlifting because of a club. Okay. Because the guy that was owning the club was like, okay, I can register you, but you have to come to the gym like every every two days or three days just for me to check on you. And this club was like one hour away from where I live uh, with a car. And uh, I, I was, uh, back then I didn't have a car. So it was like pretty much impossible for me to, to join it. And so I almost dropped and... I can't remember why or how, but one day I called somebody else and the guy was like, oh, I have a club, but I don't have any gym, any physical gym. 
but I can still register you under my name and you'll be able to compete. And I was like, oh, okay, sweet. So I'll just do that. And so, yeah, but back then it was really more difficult. And like uh, I talked uh, about it in the King of the Lift podcast, but it was like uh, ruled by old guys. And I'm not saying it in a mean way, obviously. It's just that the guys that were owning it were thinking that they knew everything and it was supposed to be played under their uh, circumstances and under their rules, their rules, sorry and not every not anything else and so yeah i almost never joined a club because it, it was really difficult for me to find one and nowadays it's way more easier because you have uh, more and more youngsters let's say uh, owning clubs and so myself i own a club with a good friend of mine and so when somebody doesn't have a club where he lives he can just register register with us and just be able to compete but it opened uh, this year and you you're not uh, anymore uh, supposed to be part of a club in order to be able to lift in competitions. Okay, that's interesting. Um, and I guess it's, and they don't actually have to physically come and train. As you said, they can register online and be like an online member yeah. of your club. Okay, excellent. Yeah, exactly. But back then it, was, it wasn't that easy because people were uh, wanting to, you know, to show that their club was the best. Yeah. So they wanted you to to go train there if you were even part of their club. So, or you, you had to be high profile athlete back then just to have some, you know, some open gates for you, especially, but that wasn't the case for me or for any of the young guys coming up. So it, it was hard for us to, to fight some clubs in order to just be able to compete. Yeah. And yeah, it does. And I guess like powerlifting is a growing sport. You want to make it as easy as possible for people to join um, and not yeah. have, like I remember talking to a friend of mine not so long ago and we were talking about like barriers to powerlifting and how, you know, costs and stuff can be, because it can be quite expensive to buy the, the bits and pieces to start. Um, but obviously like if, if people aren't you know, very open to you joining a club, it, it, it is a big yeah. barrier to joining up like, and it's, it's going to reduce the competitiveness of the, of the French competitions. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I was like lucky and not so lucky enough uh, to be part of the club that I joined because the, guys that, the, the guy that was owning it was, uh, you know, super passionate about it. But um, he had like a kind of like mixed feeling about the sport. He was like, oh, everybody's on something and so on and so on. So uh, I'm lucky enough that I didn't let that guy, you know, influence me that much and that I was able very soon to be like, okay, maybe he's not right. Even if he has more experience than me in this uh, field of, of, of sports, maybe, maybe he's just wrong or he doesn't have all the clue, all the pieces of the puzzle. And, you know, if that wasn't the case, maybe I, I would be like him, like uh, every top guy is on, on something and I'll never be able to be on, to be a top guy because I'm, I won't uh, push that limit. And so, and also the, they had some, it was weird, but they had some power over us because if you didn't respect the rules, then they, they would be, it would be possible for them to kick you out of the club. And so if they kick you out of the, of the club, then you're not able to compete anymore. Uh, and I remember, I, I think this story will be very funny. Um, so I was like in the first ones to ever do water cuts in France. Um, and I, I was in this club when I was water cutting and the president of the club was like, no, why are you doing this, et cetera, et cetera. And when it worked and I entered as a 66 and I did like, I think the European uh, minimal uh, qualifying total in France in order to so be able to just uh, go oh, with Team France. 
and um and he was like oh sweet so how did it work could you just give me some more information about it etc i was like yeah for sure if you want i can do you a little paper explain you explain to you how, how i did it and when i left the club the next year uh in the um, there are some rules of the club and in the rules of the club the guy changed and he, he wrote uh uh, water cut, uh, water cutting isn't allowed, and if you do water cut, we can kick you out of the club. Cool. <laughs> so, the guys that were remaining there and that were still friends with me, they sent they sent me the screenshot of the new rules, and they were like, "Oh, there's the banner rule." So it's, it was just for me. <laughs> it was just trying to keep you out, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and and look, you does funny stories like that, but like since then you've 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 grown and you've developed your own coaching philosophy like you haven't let um you know other other styles affect your style and yeah. your style is obviously being very effective and like i i just know from watching your own lifting and the people you coach um and that's what i'm really really interested in just to get into how does what what affected or um yeah what affected your coaching philosophy i suppose and how do you how do you approach things um, so in the beginning here in France, it was very much, you don't do more than one squat a week. Uh, if you do, you'll be overtraining and you'll get injured. You don't do much more than two benches a week if you do. And then there, there was some big, big heavy stuff about you have to do some accessories. You have to do some front squats in order to build your quads. You have to do some here. And so in my mind, uh, I was like, I like powerlifting. I want to do as many and as much squat as possible because I just love it. You know, that's that's what's fun for me and that's what I seem to respond the best to, etc. So, and I, then I was um, having my own background uh, sports history with uh, judo and basketball. And in judo and basketball, obviously you do some physical uh, training stuff besides what, what you practice, but most of the stuff that you do is practice. You know, you have a ball in your hands, you learn how to shoot, you learn how to do some defense, you learn how to do some crossovers in basketball, in judo, well, you just practice your judo skills. And so it, my mind, it was always wrong that, and the guy, the president of the club that I was in, we were arguing a lot about it and he was trying to make me change my ideas and I wasn't paying attention to it because in my mind, it was obvious that if you want to be good at something, you have to practice it. and one of the examples that that talked to me a lot was with the weightlifters when you look at what weightlifters do they always train and they always squat they always do the clean and jerks they always do something re related or closely related to what they are, have to do in order to compete at their best level and so my idea at the beginning was i wanted things to be super super specific because it was on the contrary as what everybody else was doing, or not everybody, but a lot of people were doing uh, back then. And so in my mind, if you want to be good at something, you just have to practice it. That's just how it works. If you want to be good at sprinting, you have to sprint. If you want to be good at jumping, you have to jump. If you want to be good at basketball, you have to play with the ball. And then obviously you, have, you find some flaws and you find some uh, lacks of efficiency or whatever. And then you have to, to sacrifice a little bit of specificity in order to find ways to work around it or to make this area stronger or more uh, adaptable to the task that you wanted to do. But from when I started, I was like, yeah, specificity is number one, it's the key. And then I think my ideas were more tempered uh, and I want to thank especially uh, RTS for the awesome work that they do 
for a powerlifting community because they put up all this information for free. And then if you want to, to add up to that free information, you can obviously either go through a coaching with them or uh, the classrooms. And so I was lucky enough to have classrooms for my birthday. And so from then I was like, okay, so things aren't that plain and simple and there's more tricks than you can use. And so from then, uh, from there, sorry, I was more into, okay, maybe that works for me, but maybe that doesn't work for somebody else. And what I need to do is find what works for everybody. And I was lucky enough to have a lot of uh, athletes uh, working that were willing to work with me. And so I really developed uh, my ideas with the experience that I was gaining with coaching uh, every athlete, with every blog that we're uh, doing. And I think my coaching philosophy, it, it stayed the same because I always wanted to find what was best and what was uh, the most uh, accurate for a particular individual because I didn't want to do the same mistakes that were done on me. Like you have to do this or you'll get injured or you'll injure yourself or you won't be making progresses. But my, I think the, the ways that I uh, do it changed uh, quite a bit because when I look to some old uh, training programs that I was uh, designing for athletes that I, that I still work with nowadays, like uh, Noemi Alabert, for instance, it, it changed a lot. Uh, and I think it's important that you don't believe and you don't think that you know everything on everything and that you can do more because then you just stop to strive for better things, for improvement, for being a better coach, better athlete or whatever. And that just how I picture the whole thing. Yeah, that, that growth mindset you have is, is fantastic. And it's probably the very opposite of what you, you came across in your early years. And um, I came across similar mindsets, not in powerlifting, in different sports. But they do, they, like that very much a black and white perspective on things. And it's this my way or the highway type thing. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's amazing. You, you seem to have a very broad understanding of, of, um, of, of influences, I suppose. Um, okay, let's just bring it back to the specificity, okay? And mm. like, how how specific would you make, like, what does a normal program look like? Like, how, how specific do you make it? Do they squat, bench, deadlift five days a week? Or how, how does it break down for you? Or is, it, or, or is everyone totally different? Yeah, I think everyone is totally different. Obviously, I think I have my own biases when it comes to programming. Uh, I think we all do. And what is important is to be aware of them. And um, um, what I do is usually I try to talk uh, as much as I can with, with an athlete because I think uh, conversation and, and talking is really what resolves, what, uh, resolves a lot of problems. Because uh, for instance, if I don't know that an athlete have, has already tried squatting, comp squats uh, twice a week and it was getting bad for him, either from an injury perspective or simply from a performance perspective. Well, then I may be tempted to try to do two comps just to see. But if they tell, they tell me, oh, I have this idea in my mind, like I, can, I think I can do one comp squat and then one high bar squat or one tempo or one post squat or whatever. Yeah, I, I always go with the athlete's ideas. And then I think I'm more of a second brain on the case, like... I temper their uh, ideas and sometimes I had athletes that were wanting to do m more than what I was prescribing and I was like okay yeah for sure when we can try and we we'll see how it goes 
and sometimes it was just doing fine it was just going fine so i was um in my mind lucky enough that i just listened to what they were saying because if i were if i were um if i was sorry um uh, on my idea and not listening to what he was saying uh, maybe we could have passed something that was really important for their development uh, in the sport. And on the contrary, sometimes I also was the one saying, okay, we tried it, it doesn't work, we just have to face it. And I think it's really important that you have this will to be wrong and it, it doesn't make you a bad coach. I think what makes you a bad coach is not recognizing that you're wrong or not admitting that sometimes uh, and not sometimes, but oftentimes or sometimes whatever, the athlete uh, has a lot of the pieces of the puzzle, but he may be not able to put them together. And so he gives you the pieces and you have to have this uh, higher, uh, uh, how can I say, uh, drawback and be able to see, okay, so that's where, what you're missing. Maybe if we try to assemble the, the pieces of the puzzle in this direction, probably it will make you healthier or more um, being able to um, to have more performances, etc. So I always talk a lot with the athletes uh, that I work with. And if it's an athlete that has already some background powerlifting, I think it's easier for me because they already tried some, some things and maybe know where we don't want to go or where we can explore things. Uh, and I'll just give you a quick example. Like, I had athletes that were just doing a lot of heavy singles or heavy doubles, heavy singles, heavy doubles, heavy singles, and they plateaued a lot in their training. And I was like, okay, have you tried some higher rep, sch uh, rep uh, schemes? And they were like, oh no, because I think if you want to get stronger, you have to, to develop it with a very, very, very specific um, uh, programming. And I was like, yeah, but doing sixes is less specific than doing singles, obviously, but it's still very specific and you can still benefit a lot from it. So let's go and try. And so, boom, the situation can unlock itself. And I had so 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 many different examples of uh, this uh, of this situation. And then when I when I start with an athlete that has never worked in a powerlifting background ever, is where I I tend to get more um, more in the specific side of things because I think they have some uh, how can I say some delay to catch up with some practice to 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 get quick, uh, quicker sorry and so that's where i'll probably end up with a more specific um approach okay and and that would be almost contrary to to some beliefs that usually beginner would have a very general program and it would move to a more specific um like a we take like a block periodization model over time it will get more specific um and that's kind of mm -hmm. that that view is used with a beginner sometimes but you'll often start with kind of a more specific model and then yep. so does that mean that your more advanced athletes use more variation uh no because it's individualized so okay. i have athletes advanced athletes that don't use no variations and for this example i'll give you leah uh she has no variation whatsoever it's just come squat come bench come deadlift or uh, no, uh, on this block, uh, we started like uh, last week, she has sumo. So she has one variation. Um, and then I have uh, some other athletes and I have uh, another high profile athlete and she's a female as well. Uh, he's, she's in uh, 57 and she's squatting close to world record. Uh, and I think she, she did the mock meet where she totaled uh, 
uh, something that would have gave her somewhere around um, uh, world's podium, so which wow. is pretty strong. And so she has uh, quite a lot of variations uh, with her squat uh, and her bench as well. So some slick, slum, slingshot bench, etc. So yeah, it's really a matter of individuals. And uh, I think why I'm uh, more inclined to doing more specific stuff, uh, especially with beginners, is because I think that uh, it's, let's say, the purest form of movement uh, for them regarding their current situation. And from there, I can do a lot of assessment so, and try to find some uh, strategies about the exercise selection that uh, I may be able to use. And I really like the idea of um, the blocks uh, more in the RTS uh, uh, fashion, where you have a block, you have a pivot, you have another block, and each block is a new opportunity to, to explore something new. So it's not that I'll just go through only specific blocks with all the athletes that I coach, especially with the beginners, but I'll definitely do one or two at the beginning see where they're at, see what we can do um, to bring up um, some, uh, some weaknesses uh, or uh, on the contrary, some uh, strong uh, parts of the movement they already, already have. And then from there, you know, I can, I can, we can always uh, try something different along the way. Like I have obviously some ideas in mind when I see something, but I'm more than willing to not be, not, uh, be wrong, but not have uh, the picture uh, in my mind right at the beginning and then finding about it uh, along the way and just switching things around. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, so like um, Mike, Mike T calls them development blocks, not right. So you yeah. put it, put a development block together and you have a, like a, like a, an approach to it. We just say it's a specific approach, but the next development block might be, uh, might have more variation. Is, is that yeah. okay? Yeah. Uh, and basically, you decide off the development blocks if, if say for example, Leah, she's more suited to a more specific program, um, yeah. versus an assistance type block. But, and and like, is it a case of just doing like one block, and if it works, that's it? Or if it does one block and it doesn't work, you never try it again? Or do you just does it just depend on the time, and maybe sometimes it just doesn't work because of other factors? Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, once again, I think the, the key here and the essential part of the things is the communication with the athlete. And uh, I really try to communicate as much as I can with, with all the athletes that I coach, whether it be high profile athletes like uh, Leah, for instance, or beginners, uh, because the more information they'll be able to give me, the more, um, the more solutions I'll be able to offer to them. And um, a, a strong, strong rule of mine is really I always try to propose solutions to the athletes and not impose them solutions. So if I work with an athlete and he's like, oh, we tried a specific block and I didn't like it at, at all. So for sure, yeah, I'll ju we'll just try something different. And maybe sometimes I won't be agreeing with uh, their reasons, but it doesn't mean that we won't follow them. But, you know, I'll, if, if that happens, I'll probably try to show the athlete why I, I still think that maybe um, something different than what, than what he's um, imagining would be better for him. And so, yeah, so I, I really don't think I have rules uh, regarding my uh, coaching uh, strategies. I think my only strategy is do things that are individualized and do things that the athlete uh, 
not only wants but could benefit from and is not resilient to do yeah it's a bit as a coach it's a bit of give and take like you yeah. you have the information that the athletes have best interest at heart but they might have their mind set on a particular movement that they've seen or a particular style that they want to try and like from my own point of view athlete buy-in is just so important the more yeah. they believe in a program the more likely it is to um to work would you agree yeah I totally agree 100 with you yeah i think anything that gives you that athlete buy-in is like like if you whatever it takes to get that just go with that if whatever it takes because it's so important at the end of the day they're the, they're the person that's going to be under the bar for you know five or six hours a week giving up their own time you know there's a lot to it so whatever they buy into is really really important and yeah, i think you're touching on something so important because uh sometimes the coaches are like uh i decide it's my job or but hey man it's their time it's their money it's their investment whether it be uh financial or uh emotional or uh, whatever investment it is so my goal is not to to make them do what i want my goal is to help them develop as much as they want and in the way that they wanted to so it's just plain and simple and so if for that reason i have to uh put aside put aside sorry some ideas that i have that I think may work better, but the athlete isn't responsive to these ideas for now, at least. Then I'll just, I'll just put them to rest, and we see where it goes from there. And you know, it, it happened to me that I was like with an, an athlete. I was like, "Oh, I have this idea. Would you be down to try it?" And he was like, "No, I don't want to try it." And so I'm like, "Okay, cool. We'll we'll just do something else. We we'll do this thing. It doesn't work." And then I'm like, "Okay, now we tried your thing." Uh, would you be willing to give me just two weeks, three weeks to see where we can go with the things that I would like you to do? And sometimes it just works and sometimes it doesn't. And then we just, I think when, when you make the athlete understand that he's uh, as much as you part of this process of uh, success, then things are way easier. Yeah, giving the athlete autonomy is just so important. And it, 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 that is a concept that's very popular in, in team sports and, and team cultures. And I guess it's, make, it's slowly making its way to powerlifting, uh, which is brilliant because autonomy has been shown to be like a really important part, part of motivation and stuff. So it's, it's, that's really, really interesting. And um, okay, so just, uh, just like what from my experiences of kind of hyper-specific programming, right? Um, and for anyone that's unsure, hyper-specific, it's, it's, it's movements that, that the squat, the bench, the deadlift in their competition format. Okay. Um, sometimes like, like joint pain and kind of niggles can come from that because some, because in generally intensity will be a small bit higher. Um, than if you were doing your assistance movements, so joints, tendons, kind of soreness can be a little bit higher. That's what I have found. Have you mm -hmm. found anything similar along those lines, Panna, or is it, is it just a matter of, um, controlling the stress or how do you, how do how do you deal with it? Yeah. I, um, I think there's a, a lot of, uh, truth in what you're saying, uh, just because, I don't like the answer, everybody's different because you're like, it justifies everything. And I don't want to say it in that way, but everybody is different in a way that somebody have, some people have uh, more uh, genetic uh, uh, tendencies to get injured or on the contrary, uh, genetic tendencies to never get injured. And for that matter, we all know somebody that was doing like dog shit uh, form on pretty much every lift and gets away with it. And on the contrary, I have 
sadly an example of a guy that was doing everything right and perfect and he got a uh, disc herniation and he went to the doctor and the doctor was like there is nothing you could have done to prevent it it's just the way your spine is formed you were supposed to have uh, disc herniation at that not at that time but in this area regarding of the sport you'd have been making anyway um so I just want to say that we all are different regarding our genetic uh, resources uh, and the injury is a part of it. So we have to agree, uh, we have to accept it and uh, to make our training choices uh, around this, uh, I think. So then I think it's really a matter of dosage, uh, so it's a matter of stress. Uh, and sometimes the, the stress is just uh, too much. Like you say, when you repeat two times, three times a week, uh, the same movement, maybe you can uh, at the end of the day, overuse some joints, some tendons that uh, have uh, an adaptation phase way much longer than muscle adaptation or uh, nervous adaptation, uh, which can cause obviously some injuries. But I think the injuries that are causing uh, by this format are, you see them happen. You know, it's just, it's not that from a day to another, it just snaps and boom, you're done. It's really, oh, my knees are sore a little bit. What should I do? Uh, my low back is tight. What should I do, etc. And then I think, again, it comes to the, um, the discussion with the athlete. And I really try to have as much uh, information on that matter as possible. And I think it's, it's really, you have to be willing to change your plan along the way when you feel that it, that happens. But um, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't realize or I don't see um, any more uh, uh, injury history with athletes that I worked with with uh, high, specificity, high specificity, sorry, because they do so much squats on their comp style, so much bench on their comp style, so much deadlift on their comp style that they're really used to it. So their margin for error regarding their technique is really small. And so their tendons are used to it, their uh, joints are used to it. And sometimes we just feel the need to take some break. And when it happens, we just can do it uh, with a different exercise selection for a pivot, for instance, or for another block that we know won't be as uh, beneficial as a classic block that we may be able to have with more specific stuff. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, once again, it's really a matter of is it, um, is it uh, what the athlete needs? And is it something that he can recover from? And I think if a, a lot of uh, times of, of the year you're injured and you have a hyper-specific uh, strategy programming, yeah, maybe you have to change it. And if it's not the case, then fine. Just keep doing it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really a good way of putting it, that the more they practice the, the competition move, movements, their margin for error is less. And, you know, I would have always, like, I just never thought of it that way. I always thought they would just get better at the movements. But in, like you're saying, their margin for making a mistake is going to be far less because they're just so fluent at it. It's a really good way of looking at it. Do you know what I mean? If a person practices a competition movement once a week, his, his margin for movement or margin for error is going to be a lot higher than somebody who practices three times a week um, if they're able for it. And again... It's, it's trying to figure out that dose. And I guess this is something that I've, I've found kind of can be difficult, but it's, it's, trying to, it's trying to measure that stress or to measure that dose. Like it, 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 it can be quite, like there's so many options. Like, like my T uses the stress index 
Um, mm -hmm. I know like Eric Helms um, talks about the number of sets per week. Um, it's, very com it's very common to talk about tonnage, um, like total volume or amount of work done. Um, some people will talk like sets and reps combined and the total amount of reps. So there is, there's a lot of metrics we can do. And is there any preference? What's your thought on metrics? Do you use them? Do you think there's any value to them? Is, the, is it just confusing things? Um, I'm, I'm a bit on defense them at the moment. Um, I think, like you said, there are so many of them. Uh, it's easy to get lost and it's easy to, to lose sight of the, in my mind, the number one metric, which is the athlete uh, response, the athlete feeling, the athlete feedback. I think it's the most important uh, metric. Then obviously, um, I personally, uh, I use the stress index uh, of my T. Yeah. Um, and this stress index really allows me to, to put some, um, some ground uh, regarding the program. And in my mind, it's really important as uh, exactly with uh, what your example was, because you said uh, it can be a matter of, of dosage regarding the stress. But if you don't know what dosage you were at with this block or this block, then it's really tricky for you to, to, to dose it correctly. Because if it, you don't know it was, I'll just say a random number, if you don't know it was a five and the athlete thought that it was too much and the information that we got from his training or her training was that it was indeed too much because at start of week two he was feeling some slight pain in the knees week three it was getting worse etc then we know that maybe it's a matter of dosage and maybe instead of five maybe we can run a four and see how it goes from there and um, I think something that people tend to uh, miss is that obviously you have to have the right uh, amount of stress in order to have the adaptations that you want to, that you want to have but the adaptations meaning the athlete getting stronger and putting more weight on the bar is only possible as long as he feels like doing it and if if he's injured if he's beat up if his knees are sore if his back is tight etc he won't feel like going up 5 or 10 kilos so it's at, at that time, I think it's not a matter of, oh man, if, if we change the stress, um, we'll mess up his performance and his progression. It's a matter of, we have to adapt the things and maybe this stress won't be sufficient to drive further progress. But for now, at least, it's what we need to do in order to, to make him feel 100% again. And then from there, we can talk and we can discuss and we can try to see um, a lot of things. Like I, I talked with the example of a five uh, on the stress index within a week. But 5 can be 2.5 plus 2.5, or it can be 4 plus 1, or it can be 3 plus 2, or it can be... So you have so many options that you can play with and try to really find what the athlete needs. And again, it just goes through conversation with him and it goes through uh, you uh, accepting to not have the solution in your mind and have this idea of doing some research, you know paper or on the computer or whatever and saying okay so this happened uh, this week or this happened uh, the week prior so what should we do here so maybe we'll try another block and instead of having this and this in this way uh, we'll try another way and we see how it goes yeah that's 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 a great answer Pan. it really sounds like 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 you said it's there's so much going on but if like we want to give them this dose every week and it just depends like how we spread it out is very much that's where the individuality comes in 
and obviously how they're feeling for it. It comes back to the motivation side of thing. If they're feeling, if they're enjoying training, looking forward to training, they're much more likely to bump on those kilos. But um, if if training becomes a bit, a bit too much and they're sore, if, if the most of their stress is in one session, for example, for example, and they're really sore for a couple of days, they're very unlikely to progress in the other two or three. Um, just just as I just to be touched on, it, just regards the frequency of training and stuff. Okay, do you find spreading the the stress out over maybe five and six days seems to suit better than more of a congested like three and four days, or does it really does again does it just depend on the athlete? Mm. I think it again depends on the athlete, but I if I had to choose, I would probably I think choose less days uh, of training uh, because I think. If you go to the gym, like I'll take my example, uh, it's a 45 minutes uh, away drive just to go and to come back. So if I, have, if I have to do it six times a week, the stress or the demands will be higher than if I have to do it four times a week. And so sometimes, uh, I, again, it's really individual, but I think sometimes um, staying a day at home, now it's COVID, so pretty much everybody stays at home, but... Uh, other than that, uh, having a day where you can come off work or school and just have to just chill, meet with your friends and go to sleep and have a solid 10 hours uh, of sleep is probably better than driving again to the gym, 45 minutes uh, just to go, 45 minutes just to come back, just to hit, uh, I don't know, three sets on the bench that you could be hitting maybe on another day that you already already go to the gym for something else and have uh, you know your your really day off and when i mean off it's like off you you just put your mind to something else so i think i changed a lot about this idea because uh it wasn't the case uh some months ago but i'm just i'm more in this vibe right now so maybe it will change again in some months i don't know but i think sometimes just being able to put the powerlifting powerlifting thing to total rest and just focus 100% when you're in, rather than having to focus all the time, but with less intensity, I think is um, more, uh, more important in my mind. Brilliant. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, very interesting. Um, okay, we might, might just shift gears here, just slightly, okay? And I want to talk about uh some of your lifters i don't have to get into the ins and outs of them, okay but in particular i'm a big i'm a big leah baboli fan and i was uh, <laughs> particularly interested are <laughs> yeah <laughs> she is she's phenomenal and uh i was listening to king of lift podcast she's a uh, seems like a really nice person and they all seem to really enjoy her company and she just seems like an all-around good athlete good person and, um i think she spoke on the uh, podcast just about not about winning, but just in general, her purpose is just to be a good person and to be a nice person. And she comes across that way. She comes across really, really nice. Um, but her training has just exploded in the last couple of months, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, and you're, and you're, you're, you're her coach, you program for her? Yeah. Brilliant. And um, yeah, I, you, you said that she, she follows a pretty uh, like hyper-specific program and she's obviously taking to it very well. And uh, so... So like Leah, Leah pulled was it two twenty, two twenty the other day? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And I guess if um, if Worlds had been going, it, I don't know if it's cancelled yet, but it looks like it's going to be cancelled. Um, yeah, it, so. it, it looks unfortunately that way, but we would have had a, a real good Worlds battle. It looks like, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. Yeah, um, who knows? It, it 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 may go it may go ahead, but um, un, unlikely, I'd say. 
you you were due to compete too, Pana, I believe. Uh, sorry. You, were you due to compete at Worlds as well? Yeah. Yeah. And you you cut down, don't you? You don't you don't sit at sixty six kilos. No, no, I don't. Yeah, yeah, and like, <laughs> where do you cut the weight from? Because you're there isn't there's you're all muscle. <laughs> uh, uh, do you find it hard? Um, I I don't cut that. I don't know if that much. I I cut three kilos pretty much. Okay. I used to cut more, and it was, you know, uh, I was on the edge of things when I was cutting more. It, it wasn't the, like I I wouldn't be able to to cut weight, but <clears throat> the demands on my body were super high. And so I had something happen to me in Kaunas in Lithuania. I was supposed to do Euros and I got sick, still wanted to do my cuts. And it was to the point where I had to go to the hospital. The, during the time my, my flight, my uh, other fellows competitors were competing. And so I was in the hospital looking at the live on my phone in a Lithuanian hospital far from home, which was really not a, a nice, uh, nice uh, memory. Um, but yeah, uh, I, and then I realized that what happened was I got some virus that would prevent me, I, and I was vomiting a lot. So um, I, I, I was just unable to, to do a refeed. So I did the bus in the morning in my room. I think I did four or five hours of bus in my, in my room the morning. I was like down a lot. But I was like, whatever, I'll just pull through the, the little gra uh, 100 grams I had left and then I'll just uh, just go to the meat. And I think I was at 66.7 or 6, something like that. So I was almost there. I had like two, two to three bus at most to do and then I uh, would be able to go. And so the French, uh, one of the French coaches came to the room and he was like, okay, you're dropping out. Like, there's no way I'll let you go there uh, in this, uh, how, how you are. So I was like super frustrated. But on the other hand, I couldn't get up alone. Uh, I had fever all night, uh, the day prior, etc. And so I was, I just w went to refeed and I was vomiting everything, 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 everything. And I was uh, dehydrated for, I think it was like seven, eight hours at that time. And so they called the the hospital and so they had uh, guys come pick me and so I had some IVs and I spent I think it was I went to the hospital uh, at 12 or 1 uh, in the in the evening uh, in the um, uh, can I say afternoon and I went out of the hospital at 11 12 in the evening so it's wow. like probably my most horrible uh, memory of uh, powerlifting to this day. But it was it was predominantly the predominantly the virus more so than yeah. the water cut. Yeah, the virus just made my water cut so much more difficult, and because I couldn't sleep all night, uh, but I wasn't sweating, but I couldn't sleep all night. I had some fever, so I had to take some medication, you know, uh, anti-inflammatory, uh, etc. So. Then I did some um, water retention. Then when I went to refeed, it was I was just unable to. So yeah, I think it was a lot of uh, you know unpredictable things, and that's where I learned, let's say, my lesson. And I was like, next time I'll be I'll go in lighter, so that if anything like that happens, I, there's a margin for error. You know what I mean? So yeah. 
And would you normally water cut three kilos? Is that kind of the norm for you? Back then I was water cutting more. I think I was water cutting like four, 4.5 kilos. Um, and now I dropped down to two and a half or three. And for, I did a little mock meat like three, four weeks ago. And I think I cut it uh, 2.7, 2.8 kilos. Did you find any, any um, negative effects on your performance? No, not at all. Okay, what did you total in that mock meat? Uh, 690. 690, wow. Yeah. Is that, would that be like a total PB for you or? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, total PB for me. And it would have been like, uh, obviously unofficial because it was in my own gym, but I did my gut, etc. Uh, it was a European record open, uh, plus 10, I think, something like that. Okay, uh, that's what, that was my next question. I was going to ask where did it lie regards records and how far is that off the, the world record? Uh, 15 kilos. 15, okay. Yeah. Okay, so you, maybe um, next Worlds 2021 we could see Pana up battling for I, I that. Was, <laughs> I was hoping Worlds 2020, but you know, <laughs> if it has to go to 2021, then I'm fine with it. Yeah, I just... I. Like you, I, I, I follow a lot of the American lifters and it looks like they're all after pulling out. So yeah, um, yeah, the worlds without the Americans will be kind of, I don't know, it won't be the same. Yeah, to be honest with you, I think it's really more a political thing. Like if the IPF sees that the Americans are dropping, then probably the IPF will just drop the, the meat because like yourself, like you just said, it, it, it's, there's no way you have worlds without whether it be Americans or English or Irish or French or whatever. Well, I think if one, two or three nations just say we pull out, there's no way we go there, then the IPF will just drop everything, I think. Yeah, it's, it's look, it's, it's obviously extremely strange circumstances, but like the, the only silver lining to all this that I, can, that I can see, and this is coming from a powerlifting point of view, that like powerlifting competitions can be quite taxing on a system and like it, there isn't you can't get as much of a training blocking you have to peak and it kind of slows down your progress and you just that you build again and you peak but now you're going to get guys that are probably going to have six nine maybe ten months of building and training and their totals are going to be they're going to be getting so so strong and then you only have the peak do you understand what i'm saying I kind of what i'm trying to say is like the peak sometimes can take from from us building into it yeah yeah um i agree with you on that one but on the other Part, I think that sometimes powerlifting uh, competition uh, pulls the best out of us. Mm. And sometimes you know that you're two months out of the meet and you know that you have to pretty much put up this total in order to, to I don't know, to podium or to do a top five or top eight or whatever. And so sometimes, you know, it, it, like we talked about it with the buy-in effect and with the psychological uh, part of things, sometimes it just pushes you to do more and to 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 reach some new heights that maybe if you haven't had that meet in the cards, um, wouldn't have been there otherwise. And to be honest, that's why I decided to do my own mock meet in my gym because uh, I, I wanted to have this feeling like in three weeks, you're the back, you, you have your back against the wall. Like, like you have to perform. Whatever happens, you have to perform. And actually I had some, uh, a small injury in my uh, left uh, back. I think it's more my bicep, my bicep insertion, but I think it's yeah around there. And so maybe if I didn't have this mock meat planned, maybe I would have you know dropped benching or whatever. But I was like, okay, I, I'm 
I'll just pretend that it's worlds or euros or nationals or whatever. And I have to be able to train and I have to master my training with this injury and to take care of it and also not uh, stop benching at all. And, you know, I think it's really important because sometimes it, it's, uh, it shows us the, the best part of us uh, as athletes or as coaches to have a meet coming and it's coming. Like you have to be ready for it, whatever happens. So I don't know. Uh, uh, like you said, yeah, probably you have, will have more time to train. And I think powerlifting is more uh, um, a race against the clock. Like in 10, like if you take the world totals in uh, 10 months uh, last year, they were uh, lower than that they would probably be now. And if you take them in 10 months, they'll probably be higher than that where they are now. So probably, yeah, it will push back things and the totals will be higher. But on the other hand, I don't know. Yeah, it's and like it, for me, I I I just love the idea of people being super competitive. Like, and this was this was kind of the last kind of thing I was going to touch on you with. Um, is like you you were obviously coaching some like extraordinary people, like in particular like Leah, Moni, Samantha. They're like even yourself. You're you're European record up up in that bracket. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're up that level. Like what what do you see like particularly from like a mindset or um, yeah, mindset point of view. What do the top guys and girls that you've come and come across? What have they all got in common, or some of the similarities even? Um, so first, I just want uh, for to straight the record right. Uh, I don't coach Sam. Sam just okay. lives with us. So that, okay. just, but we train together, and I think she has this mindset as well. Uh, and I think it's really an interesting question, and. My answer to that would be, we all feel like we're behind. Uh, even Leah, which is not behind, but she feels that she's behind. So she's always striving for more. She always, 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 always wants more. And I, I have this mindset as well, whether it be as an athlete or as a coach, when I work with athletes and I, I'm like, I'm behind as a coach. I have to to think more about it. I have to, to try to have new ideas. I have to try this thing. I have to. So I think it's really this uh, whole mindset of we have to do more. We have to do more. We have to do more. That, that puts us in this, in this situation where sometimes we achieve some things. Like, for instance, Lee achieved a world record uh, total, which is something huge. And I think probably the number one dream of pretty much every powerlifter on earth competing, actually. Um, but she's like, yeah, I have to do more. Uh, I know that for my next meet, probably people uh, will uh, have evolved a little bit. And so if I want to maintain this uh, record under my name, I have to work even harder. I have to put up more work. I have to, to... so yeah, I think we all uh, act and it's, it's not just an act. I mean, we don't play it. We really feel like we're behind. And so we just always want to do more. That's fantastic. Like that's that's so cool. Like to think that you have someone like let's just say for example, Leah, and she's world 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 leader. Like and uh, she's still not satisfied, constantly pushing the yeah. barrier. And and that's what makes that's what makes the sport amazing. That like you know we don't like people at the top still aren't settling for what they have. They're continuously they're continuously pushing on, and their their level of motivation must be so high. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm lucky enough to be able to train with her. Like. Uh, I think we train together like two or three times a week uh, in, in our gym because we are, we are in the same gym. 
And so, yeah, when you see her like squat 200 for a last warm up, let's say, um, and you're there, you're like, that's world record plus seven. And she just, she just went to do a lift. Like it wasn't something serious. So, you know, it really, uh, how can I say, it really humbles you down. Like you're like, I won't talk, I'll just work and I'll just train and I'll just make it happen with my work. Not so not with my videos, not with my I'll, I'll just work, work, work. So that's really super humbling experience, I think. And it probably shows too that having like good training partners or a good environment to train in is, is really, really important. There is a number of Irish yeah, definitely. Irish teams and clubs, um and like the they're not the ones that that primarily win they all seem to have this fantastic team vibe or team environment and i think westside barbell which i'm sure you're familiar of they that was a big part of their culture as well was this environment you go in and you just demand more from yourself um it's mm -hmm. amazing it's amazing that you say it's, sim it's similar again it's this this environment that just breeds competitive people yeah and to be honest sometimes we also you know we're like uh, trolling it each other uh, during training <laughs> we're like calculating uh, things on our phones with the wilks etc and we're like oh okay so what if you bench more because you're behind me on wilks etc so yeah it's really <laughs> fun competitive and it's just you know um we, we want to see everybody succeed like uh we're like uh seven eight people training there and obviously we have leah so she's a world-class lifter and then we have also national uh, lifters training with us um and you know, we always, uh, everybody tries to, to push everybody to, not to the limit uh, in, in this way, but to, to do the best they can do on every day that we show up. So I think that's really important. And sometimes um, I think the, the other um, side is also sometimes agreeing to let go because you can be 100% all the time. And uh, it's kind of exhausting sometimes to just rush to rush to rush to 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 chase after things and i think leah is actually doing a really good job of it because and i i'm really bad at it uh so i i maybe have to uh to act more like leah but sometimes she she just takes a week off and she takes a week off like she doesn't train for a week because she goes uh on a trip she visits things etc and i i can't do it like i think it's and I, it, but it's important you have to let go sometimes in order to to just be able to go back 100% in it. And uh, a great example of that, I, I don't know if you watched The Last Dance uh, on Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I see, love it. When Michael, when Michael was playing golf with his cigar and he wasn't training, he wasn't training. He was playing golf with his cigar because he knew that he, he had to do this in order to be able to perform 100% on the field. So it's, I think it's as as important as being willing to work hard and it was even yeah i i totally agree i totally agree with all that like having that like that relaxing period and even in last dance when when dennis rodman when he goes to um when he goes to the wrestling yeah, yeah. <laughs> he goes to Hulk Hogan, so and then three days later or two days later he he's you know a player of the game like and he's fantastic like and it just shows you that like they were what one of the most successful basketball teams ever and they, 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 they were all smoking cigars. That's from what I could see. Every one of them mm. smoked cigars. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah. Uh, it was it was amazing, and they they seemed to have they really had periods of downtime and periods of it's all go, and I think that's it's kind of yeah, what you said. Definitely. It's 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 definitely being able to segregate it. And um, I know myself, and you might be falling to the same bracket, but when you're so interested in powerlifting, sometimes you don't really ever switch off from it, and you're constantly mm-hmm. you're either looking at it on your phone or you're looking at you know. Uh, an ebook or you're, you're listening to a podcast and it's just it's you know, it sets and reps it's mindset it's different approaches and it's just all powerlifting and sometimes like you said like like leah taking a week off and sometimes that mental break is just so important yeah yeah i totally agree with you 100 yeah. percent. and and also what's funny is sometimes when um when regarding our training maybe things don't go as well as they can uh it's funny to see that it, it just we need one spark like we need one person to do a, like an awesome training session and then from there boom it just escalates so you know sometimes we all need that little uh cooler time you know where y- you let yourself uh, more rest more y- you let yourself go away with a little less and then but when you have to go back you have to you, you just go back and you go there 100 percent. so uh and like you said i think the fact that we train together, we have this environment is really super important. That's definitely, and um, definitely so true. Definitely so true. Um, Pana, it has been a fantastic chat. Okay. And I, I always you, try Robert. and keep our conversations to about 60 minutes. I don't always do a good job, but we're, we're pretty good <laughs> today. And I think for anyone listening that has an interest in powerlifting, whether it be com- as a competitor or whether it be as a coach, they will have picked up so much information from you tonight. So I want to say thank you very, thank you very much. much for giving up your time. Um, you're probably, you said it's your second podcast, but I have a feeling you're going you're gonna to yeah. be one of the big names in, in, the, in the coming months and years. I really hope you are because you're a, you're a very nice way about you. You're a very nice person. Um, if, oh, thank you very much. It's so if, nice. Uh, not at all. If, if people want to find you, Panna, if people like, um, want to get in touch with you, where, where would it, like, hmm. how would you do so? Well, uh, like you said, I'm a powerlifting fan, and as a powerlifting fan, I have Insta, Instagram, so <laughs> they can reach. And we always scroll, and we always refresh to see the last podcast or last post, so they can find me there, and I'll be more than happy to chat. Perfect. So that was brilliant, Pana. Um, thank you very much, and I, I will be in touch. But if not, before any of the big competitions, best of luck to you and to all the French lifters, and I hope to see you on the the world platform. Um, and putting up some putting up these big numbers you're promising no thank you very much man okay so that's all from us here today guys uh take care and thank you pana thank you bye-bye